mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Bible's with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We begin listening to Peter's testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ a couple weeks ago. It's taken us a minute to get through the introduction, and uh, I still want to take just a little bit longer to get through this. I want to remind you, and I, and I think that sometimes, sometimes the depth that we go to hear from the Lord is better than rushing through the Word of God. As a pastor, I'm here to equip. And so if I spend a little longer on something than what you might think, I believe that God has led me to do that. Now, when you're reading the Bible, you can read at a clip you want to read at a little faster. But right now, we're digging down. We're not just reading it and perusing it and going, oh, wow, Peter wrote us a letter in A.D. 64, and he wanted to tell us that perilous times were going to come because he was getting ready to experience them in Rome. So we want to dig down and say, what was he really saying? Because this is a man that walked with Jesus. This is a man that was rebuked by Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. And then some, you know, 30-some years later after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and, and, and all the time that he spent in the Word and with people, think about it, now he says, I'm going to write a letter. And the Holy Spirit uses him. And that letter is much deeper than what we could ever imagine than just reading it and just having a casual glance. We are not window shopping here today. We are here to make sure that our soul has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus and that we're living for God. And sometimes we actually go into church, we go in and we look like we're window shopping. And I say this to you all the time and I stole it from somebody. Some people go to church to eye the clothes and others go to close their eyes. See, others are there to worship. They want to learn. Some go just to see what other people are wearing. Some go just because they feel like it's, their, it's, it's, it's something I do in my life, and it's fun. It's not their life. It's something they do in their life. Listen, but Christ is our life, and when He appears, who we are will appear with Him. He, is, he has bought us, and our vessels are no longer our own. So I want you to understand that if we start digging down deep and drilling, sometimes you won't understand it. I remember when I was a young Christian, and, and I was somebody was like, oh, read Oswald Chambers. He's so good. And it's a daily devotional, utmost for his highest. I picked up that book, and I started reading. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have no idea what he's talking about. Five years later, I picked it up, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is so profound. Look what he's saying about God. 
See, so babes, when you're new as a Christian, and you might have been in the church for 30 years, and you could still be new. If you haven't been drawing near to God and allowing the Spirit of God to teach you, you're still a baby. If you haven't been reading through your Bible and and actively dying to self to to step out and do the work of the ministry, because you know what? God is not going to give you grace or power or the, the words to say until you step out of the boat you're in. You can sit and learn all you want. You can sit underneath it. But until you start serving and dying and going and following, you're going to be like a little bitty infant. You don't grow without exercising your faith. And so many people in the church today, they think it's a spectator sport, like watching a baseball game. And all they do is sit there and they know everything going on. They know all the rules but they've never been on the field. They've never put a glove on. They've never taken a few swings with the bat. They've never ran around the bases. Think about that for a moment in your life. What's going on? I know all the rules. I know the players. I can tell you who's on first, who's on second. You got Jesus pitching. You know, I could give you the analogy all day long. But are you in the game? Because see, what Peter's telling us here is that by foreknowledge, God knew that you were going to choose him. You were going to believe in him. And by that foreknowledge, because he knew that one day in your life, you would say yes to the blood of Jesus to kill your sin nature so that you can come back underneath the authority of God. Listen to me, back underneath the authority. Everything in the Bible is about the authority you're under. Listen to me. It's about who are you obeying. Christ learned perfect obedience through the things that he suffered. Why would God need to learn perfect obedience? Because he was a man in the flesh with us. As the example of God in the flesh, he had to obey everything or he would not have been perfect righteousness. And when he died, he could not have given us his righteousness nor poured his blood out, sprinkled it in heaven to pay for our sin nature. He had to obey. For that purpose, he came to obey and be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Yet in church, in culturanity in our churches today we go oh don't try to put me back under the law i don't have to obey i've already been forgiven don't judge me man listen i'm not judging you the word of god is going to judge you christ set us free from the penalty of sin if you believe that you no longer are going to die a second death the spiritual death We know that there's three kinds of death. Physical, spiritual, and eternal. That's the three kinds of death. We know that. I hope you know that. The one that most of us fear is the physical death, but we don't understand that if we don't die to ourselves and come alive because of the blood of Jesus, there's a spiritual death that's already in your life. You're already dead. You're fearing death, but you're already dead. So when you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be given life. You're transformed from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. And then 
Paul says that, what is it for? Sanctification. You're set apart, you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit, brought into the family of God to learn what the kingdom of God is and to come back underneath the authority of God that Adam and Eve walked away from in the garden. What's that sanctification for? To learn obedience. Well, how do you do that? Through the things that you suffer. Through the trials of life. Through making the right choice of the word of God every time you're given a choice. That's what Jesus did. He chose to do God's will every time he had a choice before him. And that's what you and I are doing as we run this race. We're learning to choose Jesus and his truth over the lies of the world. Because, see, you got three enemies. And your biggest enemy is not the devil. Your biggest enemy is yourself. Your biggest enemy is the choices that you're making to choose to lie because it feels good. Your biggest enemy is you. God has already set you free from the penalty of sin. And if you believe in his blood, he sets you free from the power of sin. See, because sin has no power over you if the penalty's gone. The only power disobedience had was that if it was taken to its fullest extent, you would die a spiritual death. That's not possible anymore if you're truly in Christ. So there's no power there to that disobedience. Yet the devil has got all the Christians focusing on their disobedience. I can't run the race. I can't go to church. I can't do this. I can't tell somebody about Jesus because I just sinned. I've still got this sin in my life. Get your mind focused on doing the will of God and obeying the next thing that he tells you and let him deal with the sin and the practice of it in your life. But as long as you're focused on the sin and not the obedience of God, you'll always be focused on the lie. See, there's no more penalty there. There's no more power there. Pretty soon, we're going to be taken out of the very presence of sin. It's coming really quick and you better be ready for it. This is not a joke. It's not a joke. Why are we sanctified? See, sanctification, just like salvation, has more parts than one to it. Salvation, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved when you're in heaven with God. Sanctification, the Spirit puts you in the family of God, seals you, and then begins to train you because he wants to sanctify your spirit, soul, and body. Listen to me. It's your spirit, soul, and body. We were created in God's image in the garden. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that we're little gods. It certainly doesn't mean that we're going to become a god, as some cults will tell you. What it means is that God was three parts. He's a trinity. Triune God. The word in, the, in, the, in Genesis is Elohim. El is God, L-O is dual, Elohim is, is, a plur, or is a triune God. I know this sounds like, oh my goodness, what's he saying? Listen to me. You were created body, soul, and spirit. Three parts to you. That's why you're created in the image of God. Listen to me. And in the garden, Adam was created spirit, soul, then body. That's the order that it was. His spirit walked daily with God. His spirit was working with God, obeying God, listening to God's perfect authority. Having great, rich fellowship with God in the garden. And then God said, here, 
name these animals. Remember that? Bible students? So he starts naming them. He goes, oh, look at this. This looks like a duck-billed platypus. And this looks like a squirrel. And this looks like an ox. I mean, some of the names that they come up with. But anyway, but in all of that, as Adam was working with God, having a relationship with God, worshiping God, taking care of his creation, and he realized that there was no, hey, there was Mr. and Mrs. Ox. There was Mr. and Mrs. Dugbill Platypus, but where is my Mrs.? He realized that he was alone. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and out of his side, he brought woman. And in that act, he actually performed the very first wedding ceremony. He created them in the beginning, male and female. Listen to me. The world wants to tell you now that there's a whole bunch of others. There's male and female. That's it. That's it. And if you tell me that you believe that there's more than male and female, I have no more conversation for you because you're of the devil. The only thing I'm going to say to you is get behind me, Satan, because you're a liar. And all you have in your heart is to do the will of the devil, your father. If you tell me there's more than male and female. And it's time for the church to stand up and say that. Because it's nothing but a lie. So what happened? God said, you, and here you are in the garden. You can have fellowship with me daily. And you can tr- eat of everything freely. But of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat, you shall not eat, for in the day that you do, you will surely die. Think about that. Why was that tree placed there? Because Adam and Eve worshipped God, they had faith in God, they trusted God, they were obeying God, but their faith had never been tested by anything. Listen, you can believe in God. See, in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Huh? Well, think about this for a minute. Adam, when he was born in the garden, how old was he? Did he have a belly button? See, God, he was, he was born of God in the garden, the first Adam. And then woman was taken out of his side. And then they were dece- the woman was deceived. And Adam followed because he loved his wife. But God always knew that there was going to be a second Adam that was born of God. Not born of man. See, because Adam and Eve fell, every one of us has a sin nature now. When you're born, you're born dead. You're born with a sin nature that rebels against God. But God knew that he was going to come again and there was going to be another Adam. And this Adam was going to be born of God, born by the Holy Spirit who created all things, just like he did the first Adam. And he wasn't going to have that sin nature because the sin nature is passed through the genes of the Father, through the authority, the head. So when Jesus was born of a virgin, The sin nature was not attached, but he was 100% God, 100% man, just like Adam. And then he chose to always fully obey. 
and he learned perfect obedience to the things that he obeyed. And he becomes our example. And salvation brings us back into the family of God. And sanctification teaches us to obey God. And that's what's going on now. But see, they were tested. Have you been tested? See, you're here today to be equipped, to learn. It might be a lecture. You might say, that's a lot of stuff. But when you go out to your job this week, something's going to happen, and God's going to remind you of that stuff. God's going to remind you of His truth and how you're supposed to stand, and you're supposed to say, get behind me, Satan. There's nothing but male and female. So I don't want to hear that, CNN. I don't want to hear that, world. See, the biggest enemy you have is yourself and the choice that you make when you're tested by God. And believe me, you're going to be tested. The first Adam and Eve, they failed to test. And now we all have a sin nature. But now when you come back to Jesus through the second Adam and you become his offspring with a new life, you've been born again, begotten again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Listen to me. We rejoice in that. That's our next line anyway, by the way. If you're looking at 1 Peter, that's what he says in our text this morning. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? That we were born again. We had a second chance. We get a new heart, a new nature. A new heart and a new nature to do what? To learn to obey God and make the right choice. To do what Adam and Eve did not do. We get salvation we're freed from their curse to obey god not to be saved but because we're saved because the power of sin and the penalty of sin is gone now you're set free to run this race no matter what happens but you're learning in sanctification to obey the word of god you're learning to recognize the authority of God. You're in the house of God. You're a citizen of heaven again. Yet most of Christianity just goes off and does whatever they want. Has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. I do that on Sunday. Don't talk to me now about it. Really? Listen to me. We've been born again. You're born once, you die twice. Born twice, you only die once. We just talked about it. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, cast into hell. We just talked about it. If you're born of water from your mother, and you're never born again of the blood of Jesus, you're going to die a physical death, and then at the white throne judgment, you're going to die an eternal death, cast into hell. If you're born of water from your mother and then you believe in Jesus and you have a new life begotten again to a living hope, then you're not going to die the eternal death because you've been given life. You're only going to die a physical death. And there are those that would tell you if the church is raptured out or when it's raptured out, you may not even die a physical death except for a twinkling of an eye, which is a thousand times faster than blinking. That's a twinkling. But all of us are eternal and we're going to spend eternity someplace. And you don't have to die an eternal death. That's why Jesus died for you. He took your death. 
He took the penalty for your sin. He took the power from your sin. And he gave you life and freedom in the spirit. And he gave you the ability to come back again and to be underneath the authority of God in his house for his glory. And verse 4 says in chapter 1, it's an inheritance. It's given to you freely. It's incorruptible. It can't be corrupted. If you truly believe in Jesus' blood and the Bible and the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, you don't get kicked out of heaven. But what you do is you get the Spirit of God to come into your heart, and then the Spirit of God begins to change you as you follow God. That's the continuing of the sanctification. Look what he says. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. Do you get that? There's no way for it to fade away. Now, your, your first life that you were born dead to the first Adam, it's meant to fade away. God already knew it. It's meant to fade away. Slowly, by the trials and the suffering and the fire, it's supposed to fade away. I'm supposed to be changing from glory to glory. My life is supposed to be fading away, and I'm supposed to be becoming Christ-like. I was cleaning carpet with my brother this week, and we were in this house that I've been cleaning for 20 years. And um, he goes, what's up with that carpet? And it was, it was originally a really dark blue carpet. The old contour carpet you see like in the 80s, and it's just contour, but it was dark blue. But however, now it's powder blue, except for in like two places, like where the bed was setting and where a dresser was setting, because the sunlight didn't get to it. Listen to me. The, the consuming fire of God didn't get to it. See, because God's a consuming fire. Did you guys know that? He's a consuming fire, and he wants to turn up the heat on your life so that you'll die to self and you'll be transformed into his image, that you'll learn how to apply the knowledge that you're learning. And so just the, the mere sunlight shining through the window over 30, 40 years onto that carpet had took the darkness out of it. Come on now, come on Bereans, you, you can do this. The more you're in the word of God and you're having light shined in your darkness, it changes who you are. It changes the very appearance and it takes the darkness out of you because his light is a consuming fire. He's just, just his truth consumes up darkness. It consumes up the lie. It removes it where you don't live it. You don't desire it. You don't walk in it. So the whole carpet had changed where light was allowed to get to it. That's why God comes and lives in your heart. See, with Jesus walking the earth, he, he wasn't living in your heart. He was only shining on the outside. He wants to sanctify your body, soul, and spirit. And all he could get to was the flesh on the outside. Remember we were created in his image? I didn't finish that, did I? Let me get back to it. Spirit, soul, and body. Sin flipped him upside downward. And see, now when you're born, you want your body to be first. Your body's first. Whatever feels good, do it. And then your emotions are second. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, they're second. And then your spirit is last. It's separated completely from God by darkness because of your body and your soul and because of the world, because of the devil. So when you come to Jesus, what does he do? He flips you right side back up again, just like Adam was in the garden. See, Jesus is the second Adam, but you get to become like the first Adam and Eve. 
You get to decide by choice, am I going to come underneath the authority again? Or am I going to be just like my forefathers and reject God's authority and listen to the devil? And the amount of light that you take in through your eyes and into your heart and the, and the ear that you hear with produces faith, but it has to be a heart that wants to obey it. See, because sin is about disobeying. The death is about disobeying and f- continuing to follow darkness, continuing to add more darkness to your darkness. But if you have light, remember, remember John 1? The, this light come to earth and took flesh, and darkness could not overcome it. But if you turn on a light in a room, it overcomes darkness instantly. Are you turning on the light? See, people get mad at me. I go, well, you're not reading your Bible. You're not living for God. Now, it's not me to judge. I'm not being mean if I do that. I'm loving on you. Because it becomes obvious what you're doing and how you're living by the decisions you make and the things that are still in your life after 30 years. You're still pursuing the same things you were when you were a child. The same things you were before you said, I believe in Jesus. If you're still pursuing all those things and your desires are still for those things, then you're not letting the light in. You say, well, wait a minute. No, I, I, I am. I am. No, you're not. Because God's power cannot be overcome. God's light cannot be overshadowed. God's changing ability cannot be stopped if you just abide in the vine. If you just do what the Word of God says and stand there, just like an apple tree, abiding in the soil, abiding in the tree, it will grow fruit. It's not grunting. It's not groaning. It's not making excuses. But you know what? The bugs are going to come and get it. The bugs can attack it. And if you let the bugs attack a tree, it will destroy a tree. But if you let Jesus be Lord in your house, you're not going to be destroyed. It's not going to damage your fruit. So it's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. For every person ever born has a reservation in heaven. And the only way to cancel it is when you say no to God. When you say no to the Holy Spirit. When you say don't want that. Don't believe that. It's reserved for you. God reserved it. Whomsoever. He died for every person ever born. It's paid for. To telesty. Paid in full he said. Only you can reject it by the choice that you make if you want to continue to live for the devil. Or you can say, okay, I don't understand all of it. Don't know how you're going to do it because I'm chief of sinners. But I believe that you died for me and you rose again. I believe in your blood that paid for my sins. And then you let the working power of God take over. But if you believe that and you obey that, then you have to keep obeying the rest. You can't just say, I believe the gospel, I believe in God, and never do any of the rest. You can't ignore all the rest. It all comes with it. It's his house, it's his kingdom, it's his creation. And the only way to be saved and sanctified and get across the finish line, glorified, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, is to begin to obey. And the first step of obedience is to say, I haven't been obeying God. I've been living my own life, and you died for me, and I'm re-crucifying you. I'm willfully sinning against you. Instead of turning my heart toward home and actually looking 
to do the right thing. I still sin against you purposefully. That's a dangerous place to live as a Christian. When you look at Leviticus and there's five different offerings that was made under the law. That's called trespass. You willfully sin. When you see that sign that says no hunting. And you go, I'm looking for mushrooms. I think they meant cattle. I think they meant deer. I'm still going to climb across the fence. So you just willfully broke that no trespassing. You might, make, you might be able to somehow justify it in your heart that, oh, their intent was, whoa, 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 whoa. It says no trespassing. It says no trespassing, so you don't go there. That's clearly, that's clearly there, God's Word says. Now there's other ones that you don't understand. And the Spirit of God who lives in you will convict you and say, you know what, that Christian over there might be able to dress that way and act that way, but I don't want you doing that. I've set you apart I want you to be an example. I don't want you doing that. And so therefore, that might be something between you and God privately where he spoke to you and said, this is sin for you. Listen, the devil has joined the church a couple minutes after it was birthed. And he's deceiving people into following their own selves, false cults, and everything else instead of understanding that he bought us and paid for us and he wants us to do the work of his ministry, to obey him, to follow his will and his word. Salvation means deliverance away from disobedience, deliverance away from unrighteousness, deliverance away from the sin nature that said no to God's authority in the garden. When it was tested. Now when you're tested. What are you saying to sin? What are you saying to self? What are you saying to Satan? When you're tested. When you're tried. Because the power is there to resist. The choice is yours to make. Now listen to me before you freak out on me. This is everywhere in the Bible. You cannot read the Bible with this knowledge. And not see it in every life where they were tested and tried. The first people we see is Adam and Eve, living in a perfect place, but God didn't want robots. They had to be tested. They had to be tried. There had to be something there that would tempt them, and then their desires would lead them away. And, and when it's conceived in their heart and becomes full-blown, it leads to death, James tells us. And it's the same thing with you and I. All of your life, you're going to have that temptation, but the more light you let in, the more you let God change your desires through the sanctification process, the easier it is to make choices to say, get behind me, Satan. That does not have the kingdom of God in mind. And, you know, let me just be real with you before I read the text that we're going to cover. You know why this has so much so much importance today. Oh, it was always important since, since Peter penned it, since the Holy Spirit allowed it. But today, persecution is coming, just like in Peter's day. It's going to come, and it's going to come fast. It's going to come swiftly. And if you are not trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the truth of God and listening to the instruction that God would give you, 
then you're going to be swept away with the tide of the current and you're going to choose to follow deception and lie and death instead of God. They want the church to shut up completely. And it's okay for me and you to talk about this right now in this room. But if you talk about this in the marketplace, then you're going to become a Nazi. You're going to become the one that people hate because it doesn't line up with their indoctrination of the planet that comes from the devil indoctrinating us into lies and see it's more important today because everything that God said was going to happen has happened it's happening and it's not just that there's an antichrist spirit out there but now the entire mass media listen to me the internet everything that reaches everywhere has joined together with the government of the world that's from the devil to train and teach you how to be ungodly and live in darkness and call good bad and bad good. And that's what they want. So whatever voice you're getting, if it's from the world and the news and darkness, then you're going to call me bad. You're going to say that Greg is a lunatic because he's talking about God and light and sanctification. And you're going to put me in a prison camp. Because I am speaking truth and truth. It's always been an attack on truth. Did God say? And the devil has always been trying to destroy that. This is not a joke. That's why we're called to train our children in the word of God, in the truth of God, in the light of God. Not let them run off in the darkness and figure it out. How's that working for you as a child of God? You run off in the darkness and figured it out. Children who are made to read their study books so that they can learn and be quizzed on it is what you're supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God as children of God. You're supposed to desire the pure milk of the word and begin to read it and ask God, what does that mean to me? And then you're going to get a quiz. You're going to get a test. The greatest thing about it is, is when you fail the test, God forgives you. But he doesn't want you to stay there. A wise man falls seven times, but a fool falls by calamity. Wise man keeps getting back up and go, man, I was running good and then I failed. But now, by the power of God and the strength of God, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm going to keep running this race. I'm going to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares me. And I'm going to run with endurance the race that has been set before me. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Because he despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God and is praying for you. He went through it for you, and he learned perfect obedience to the things that he suffered. But he had to choose God's will even when they said, we're going to kill you. He could have said, wait a minute, I'm innocent. How are you going to kill me? Why are you going to kill me? What did, what did Paul do? Paul said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Paul said, hey, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not guilty. Jesus said, Nothing, because they would have turned him loose. 
because he was innocent. But he did it for you and me so that we could stand innocently before an almighty God, so that we could be set free from the penalty and the power of sin, so that we could become more like him without that penalty, without that power, without that worry and, 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 and shame that comes with sin. Without having to stay in the darkness, we can click on the light. That's why I tell everybody, when you meet your old friends, when you run up on them people that you've been hanging out, just draw a line in the sand. I'm living for Jesus now. What are you doing? Just tell them really fast. Just spit it out. Hey, we ain't seen you in a while. Where you been? I'm living for Jesus. I'm going to church, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost. They're going to go, oh my goodness. And they're going to ease away from you and you don't have to worry about them no more. It's the greatest thing. You think it, but it's what the devil don't want you to do. But witnessing is the greatest thing. Not only are you obeying, but you are drawing a line in the sand so that you don't have to deal with their darkness. And if they go, wow, you do look different. What would you do? Get a haircut? What would you do? And, and your complexion has changed because there's no more darkness that you're practicing. Yeah, everything about you will change. They go. I see people and they go. They look at me and they go, how come you still look the same you did 20 years ago? I go, do I really? If I ain't got no hair. But, but, but I see them, my old friends, that are still strung out on drugs. They're still in darkness and they look 25 years older than me. And it's very sad. I'm not picking on them. I'm praying for them. In fact, God put them in my path so I could tell them that. So I could be a witness of that light. I could shine on their darkness. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Continuing to do what we've always done is not salvation. It's not sanctification. It's not freedom. It's bondage. That's what the devil wants to do. That's why he's putting truth in bondage. That's why so many people are going to jail on Facebook. That's why, because truth is not allowed in society. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. We're sinners, all of us. And if you think you're not, then you need to go back to the cross. And if you think you've been set free and you're okay now, you better go back to the cross. Your sin nature is still there. It's just covered in the blood of Jesus. It's buried in the grave with Jesus. I haven't even got to my chapter yet. So listen to me. It's undefiled. It's incorruptible. It doesn't fade away, although your old life does fade away. Your new, your new life doesn't. It's reserved in heaven for you. Do you want it? Do you have it? Are you living according to all the blessings that flow from it? Are you growing in the fruit of it? Oh, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Are you being guarded by these truths? Are you allowing Christ to protect you and guard you and be the strong man in your house through faith? For deliverance, salvation. You know, this deliverance from this salvation is for everything. Not just your sin nature, but your mind, will, and emotions. 
It's everything. He wants to sanctify your body, soul, and spirit. The last thing he's going to do is give you a new body, a new house, a new mansion, a new place to live because you're a spirit in a body. And when we go to heaven, we don't have to have this body of sin anymore. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Are you really greatly rejoicing in it or are you still living the life of death? See, this is what Peter's saying to them. If you understand this truth of what God has done and what he's doing and where we've been brought from, you should be greatly rejoicing and the joy of the Lord should be your strength. You go, I'm set free. They can't get me. Remember I tell you the story about the guy that said the prayer, that's why I don't do altar calls, and he jumped up and kicked his heels and said, cuckoo, can't get me now, Satan. Listen, if you know this truth, Satan can't get you. But you can get yourself if you live according to the false system of Christianity that's going on in America. You won't see it in other countries. You should, I, I talked to a lady on, on the telephone the other night from South Africa. She was so encouraged. She was so joyful. She was so in love with Jesus. And so informative, she said there's no COVID in South Africa. Listen to me. When you have newness of life and you understand the truth, you don't let the devil put you in bondage. You don't fall asleep. You let Christ give you light and then you learn to walk circumspectly. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin. It doesn't mean you're never going to stumble. But if that's what you're practicing, you're a fool. Wise man gets back up and gets back up and gets back up. The fool lays down and falls by calamity and he stays down. He goes, I like this, like a sow in the mud. I like this. This is my home. Listen to me. If you know Jesus Christ, this is not your home. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, he died so you can know him. He poured out his blood for you. That salvation is ready to be revealed to you. Today is today for deliverance from the darkness, the shame, the, the, the sickness, your ill health. It even says health is one of the words for salvation. To make you whole again in every way possible, just like Adam before he sinned. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Are you rejoicing? I can't get off of it. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love." Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. 
To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Father, pour out your Spirit and help us to comprehend what you would say to the church. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen, you greatly rejoice about being born again. And we, we just went over it. It's incorruptible, undefiled. Um, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, King James, you have heaviness, sorrow, distress by manifold temptations. Various trials is easier for me, but it's manifold temptations. It means motley. There's a bunch of temptations out there. It means various in character. There's a lot of things that are out there to tempt you, to deceive you, to get you to follow it instead of obeying God. So you have a choice to make. Are you going to choose to follow God and allow Him to sanctify you? Or are you going to choose to keep following yourself, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, and the world? But you're going to go through some stuff. Everybody does. Every single person does. No way to escape it. The sad part is, as many people go through death, they go through pain, they go through suffering, they go through all these things, and they don't do it with the wisdom of God. They don't do it knowing the knowledge of God. They don't do it following the Spirit of God. And they try to deal with it with their own strength their own power, their own might. And you know what the devil does? He turns it into a, look what God did to you. If you're a Christian, you get to say, look what God took me through, brought me out of, and you give thanks and you rejoice. Look what James says, camel knees, back up. Oh, it's not often that you back up when you go to James. James chapter 1, he's at the end of the Bible, and he says this, he's writing to bond servants he's writing to other christians and he says in verse 2 my brethren count it all joy joy when you fall into various trials temptations king james knowing that the testing of your faith produces hoopamony patience patience is a fruit of the spirit you want to be sanctified you want the fruit of the spirit you want to become like christ but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, all of us are out there looking for happiness, and we're looking to get everything and be perfect and complete in our pride. And, and the only way to do it is to count it joy. You know, the word count means to think forward to on the other side when God takes you through it. It means on the other side, just like Jesus when he despised the shame. But on the other side, we see in our text, 1 Peter, that he's got the glories. The Spirit testified of the sufferings, but on the other side, the glories that would follow. And all of us want to be glorified. All of us want the rewards of heaven, 
But none of us want to go through the pain and have fellowship with his sufferings. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now listen, wisdom, not knowledge. I know how to drive. You want some wisdom in driving? I know how to parent. You want some wisdom in parenting? If you lack wisdom, not knowledge. You, know, you can go get books all day long on marriage and parenting, but none of them got the wisdom of God in them. You've got to come to God for that wisdom. It's a relationship. You can have knowledge, and it'll puff up, and you're like, look at my kid, little Johnny. Little Johnny's getting ready to kick a hole in the, the neighbor's garage door and see if he can get some toys, and you're bragging on him? He's getting ready to break something. He's getting ready to get a spanking. But if you want wisdom, it has to come with a relationship with little Johnny. If you want wisdom, it has to come with a relationship with God. You have to go through some things. You're going to have to walk through some fire. If you want it, you have to ask God. He gives it to you freely. Have you been praying? Are you asking Him for wisdom? Because they're coming. The, fi the, the, the fire is going to be there. The trial is going to be there. The temptations, the sin, and to disobey God are always there everywhere you look. And only with the wisdom of God, as you're led by the Spirit of God, will you be able to make the right choice to choose God and not end up in sin. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally. God's a great giver. That's all he does is give. He's giving. He's given wisdom. He's given life. He's going to give sentences soon. And some are going to get cast in his perfect justice that he gives out into hell. But he's going to be giving of himself because all things flow from him. You don't have nothing except from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life where there's no shifting or turning. There's no shadow. Because there's nothing bigger than him to cast a shadow. There's no light brighter in him to make a shadow. All he does is give. All the devil wants to do is take. All selfishness wants to do is, where's mine? Take. I got to get mine. I'm going to church for me. See, God come to earth for you. He didn't do anything for him. You can't add to God one bit. If he's hungry, he wouldn't tell you. If he needed something, he wouldn't tell you. Listen to me. The Spirit is always giving, serving, laying down, looking to help others. And a life in the flesh under earthly, central, demonic wisdom, no matter how much knowledge you got, is only looking for, what am I getting out of it? Come on, I'm after the toys. I want to win. What do I get? That's not a crucified life. That's not a Christian. That's not Christ-like. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. So if we're still living in this upside-down way where we put our body first, then our mind, will, and emotions, and our spirit last, that's good old-fashioned death. It's not salvation. If you ask God, He gives it to you liberally and without reproach. It's free. He's not going to go, you idiot, you needed wisdom for that. You ever do that with kids? You go, let me show you how to tie your shoe. I know. And then they walk around all day with their shoes untied. That's the way we are. It's still as, as adults, as Christians. 
I know. Don't preach to me, pastor. I know. Don't tell me. And then we walk around with our shoes untied all day long. And it's obvious we didn't know. And we have so much pride, we don't want nobody to tell us. Even though they're freely giving away that wisdom at the throne room. And all you have to do is stop and ask. But look what he says. Because this is where most Christians live. But let him ask in faith. Confidently trusting. Listen, how many of you ever put numbers in a calculator? Two plus two and it comes out four. Did you confidently trust it was going to do that? Think about it. You, you know, I want to make sure this calculator is working. I'm going to test it. Two plus two, four. Automatic, right? You had faith it was going to say that. But now sometimes you had some great big numbers in there and you go, let me do that again. I just want to check my math. I want to make sure I did that right because that's a big number. See, there's stuff in your life where your faith isn't there yet that you know that it's going to be confident. But with God, if you ask him for wisdom, listen to me, and he says, turn right, right there always right never wrong he can't be wrong it's impossible for him to be wrong you don't even have to check him but you can you can come and reason with him you don't have to check God and when you do look at this look what he says ask in faith with no doubting no unbelieving Listen, if you ask God, if you look at his word, if he speaks to you, if you know this is God, obey God. We know this. The blood of Jesus, the only way, no, name, no other name with which men can be saved. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that person, that man, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Listen, this doesn't mean I can't make up my mind. Double-mindedness does not mean I need some more advice from somebody else. Listen, if you ask God, who else are you going to ask? Who, who's left to ask? Think about it. Let's write them down. Everybody get a pencil and paper out. After you've asked God and he said no, after you asked God and he said Christ is the only one, write down who you're going to ask next. Come, nobody's moving. See, because if you, listen, if you don't follow the wisdom that he gave you, the answer that he gave you, then you're double-minded. You're unstable in all of your ways. That's what he's saying. Now, wait a minute now. God said, I have to, I don't get to, I got to figure out a way around this. We're going to have to figure this out. Hmm. Maybe if I do follow that other church. You know, then one people said God said it was okay if they weren't both, if they weren't male and female. That one church says it's okay. Maybe I'll go over to their church. Let's see what their pastor's doing. Let's see what their Bible's saying. Listen, God doesn't change. I don't care which church you go to. I don't care if you, which media outlet you go to. I don't care which book you read. God's the unchanging God. And you're going to be tempted to say no to God and be double-minded. That's what Adam and Eve were tempted, weren't they? There was nobody else. Just them walking in fellowship with God, having everything provided. Nobody else. And all of a sudden, this serpent. 
runs up and says, hey, come here. Now here's this trial now, this testing. Is your heart really obeying God? Do you really want to obey God? Because see, when you listen to a lie, you really have a desire in you not to obey God. You have a desire. You're led away by your own desires. He goes on and says that. It's not because God tempted you to do it. It's not, it's not because God put a tree of knowledge and good and evil there. It's not his fault. It was already in your heart. Let's just read it. We'll come back. Because he ran out of time again. Look what he says here. Listen, the, the question is, is when you get a choice and you get to make a choice and you have the answer and you know what God said, do you follow God or are you double-minded and you follow something else? Do you look for a second answer? Now, I'm not telling you not to ask many people. You might want to ask several people that you know know the Word of God. Don't go asking people that you know don't know the first thing about the Word of God. And be careful with some people. You can look at their life and go, you know what? I see them doing this, this, and this. I'm not asking them for counsel because they're not following godly counsel. Ask somebody that will give you scripture, that will give you what the word of God says, and they don't care if they step all over your toes. Let not the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. What is that? That's a warning. See, if you're lowly and you have nothing, and all of a sudden somebody comes along and gives you everything or exalts you, now you're tempted to look at them instead of God. Exaltation, when you think, I'm always better, and you get exalted, then you're tempted to glory in it, and you say, look at me, look at me. Same thing, let not the rich man in his humiliation... He's rich, and somebody says something a little bit sideways or humiliates him. Now, his whole life is decided by that. He's brought down. These are temptations to change who you are when you're supposed to be listening to the wisdom of God, no matter what happens in your life. There's a time when somebody might throw rocks at you, and you know you're innocent, but you also need to know the sovereignty of God that God allowed him to throw rocks at you. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. Everybody's going to pass away. 100% of people die last time I checked. For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat, remember the consuming fire, than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Pursue God. Blessed is the man who endures, you abide under, go through trials and temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, you're going to go through them. You need to go through them with the wisdom of God. It's going to happen. But the small ones prepare you for the large ones. If you actually do the Greek study in this, you're going to see that in the first words we had over in verses 1 through 8, the small temptations, they led to this bigger one that's over here in verse 12, which is the great seed, the depth of evil that comes on that evil day attacking you. But your heart's already been trained to choose wisdom, to choose God, to follow Him, no matter what size it is. That's why it's, you're supposed to be faithful in the little bitty things. 
And as you're training your heart in the little things, it teaches you to automatically make that decision in the big things because your heart's been trained. That's why we train children at a small age so when they grow up, their heart already makes the right decision. But the world wants to train them with TV, with the computers, with their e-learning. The world wants to train our children and put darkness in their heart and not allow the parent to have any say-so. Does that make sense to you? Because now you can extrapolate that and say, wait a minute, my father's in heaven. Then why are you listening to the devil? My father's in heaven and he's training me. I'm being sanctified. I'm reading my Bible. Then why are you following the devil? You're allowing the devil to take you as a child of God instead of listening to your father. Instead of honoring and obey him, you're listening to what the world's saying, which is lying to you. I don't need to go any further. And in fact, I have stopped going further. I'm not talking about evolution. I'm not talking about all the other lies. Just male and female. That's enough science for me. That's enough. And if you say any more, then get behind me, Satan, because your science is now a lie. And so now I can't trust anything else you say to me because I can tell you're living for the devil. That's it. I'm sorry. I don't care how many times you go to church, how many times you call yourself a Christian. I don't care how many times you say, well, I'm going to. If you believe there's more than male and female, you are delusional. You're delusional. And if you parent your children that way, we're going to let them grow up and then we'll decide. Right now, they're just an it. You're delusional. You're delusional. And you're deliberately rejecting God's truth. And God's not the one tempting you to do that. Look what he says. We'll finish reading this and I'll go back to our text. 13. Let no one say, James 1, 13, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone but each one is tempted watch this when he is drawn away by his own desires his own choices see if you've chosen to do the will of God you're not going to be drawn away you're not going to be deceived you're not going to be enticed then when he de his desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Well, how's it sin? Because you just you chose to disobey God. That's what makes it sin. You chose to do what God said not to do. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Notice he's saying this to Christians. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, whom there is with whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. There's no, he's an unchanging God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What are you looking to produce righteousness in your life? See, you've been given positionally Christ is righteousness. And if you were sealed, sanctified, placed into the body of Christ, then the Spirit of God is in you. 
And now he wants to take you through some things. Whatever you're going through in life, and he wants you to ask him for wisdom when the fire gets turned up. It's everywhere in the Bible. Let's talk about it. What about Genesis 22? Abram. Abram kept looking for God to do his will in his life, and he gives him a son. And then what did Abram learn? To believe God, to trust him, no matter what it looked like. He says, Abraham, sacrifice your only son Isaac. And Abram said, "Uh uh-uh, can't have that part of my life. You can have everything else, God, but... So when you say no, he's not Lord anymore, right? No, he said, okay. And he got up, and he he got his his servants with him, and he packed his bags, and they took a three-day journey, and they took him, and he put wood on his back, and he went up Mount Calvary, and he pulled the knife out, and he was going to kill him. The New Testament says he did because he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He trusted God no matter what. I trust you, God, for the outcome. And right now, listen, persecution is going to come to the church. It's going to hurt. You may be beaten. You may suffer. You may be thrown into prison if you want to live for God. But you've got to believe God for the outcome. If you stand on truth, he's never, ever going to forsake you. That doesn't mean that there won't be pain and suffering. That doesn't mean that it won't hurt. Listen to me. If you are a child of God, the next thing that happens in your life is there's going to be a testing, just like with Adam and Eve. There's going to be fire. There's going to be pain. And there's going to be you who needs to make a choice. Am I going to follow God or just Keep on following the world because it's easier. What's your choice? Maybe you get 10 chances. I don't know. Pharaoh was given 10 plagues before his heart was completely confirmed. I don't know. Ten is an interesting number in the Bible. 242 times, I think, ten or tenth is used in the Bible. Ten is a number that's just like seven. It's it's a number of of, of perfect completion. Seven is maturity. It's complete. But when you take seven and you add the Trinity to it, now you've got a perfect completion where it's sealed. It's done. There's no more changing it. Really? Yeah, Ten Commandments. It's everywhere in the Bible. All you got to do is do a little Google search. You'll see this. It's everywhere in the Bible. Ten Commandments shows you the heart of God. What about for the future? Well, Daniel's vision, the vision of John, the revelator, the ten, ten horns, there's ten toes. They show ten earthly kingdoms. All that come up in the world and are against God's kingdom. Sealed. Perfectly completed. It's going to happen. The one world government is coming. Persecution is going to come. Now listen, you might go home to be with the Lord tomorrow. You might not see it. The rapture could happen next week. We might not see it. But are you prepared if it comes? Listen, if you're listening to the lies that the government is telling right now, 
to what they're telling you to do, then you're being deceived and your heart is being trained to listen to the next thing they tell you to do. And the next thing they tell you to do. And the next thing they tell you to do. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to fear nothing. Except for God who can kill you and cast your soul into hell. The righteous are bold as lions. I didn't mean, I, I don't mean rude as sailors. But I can stand on the truth. I can believe God, no matter what the fire is, no matter what the trial is, because I know on the other side, I'm not getting cast into eternity hell. On the other side, I'm with him. That's gain. To be with him forever is the finish line. But we, all of our lives are afraid of death, and there's no reason to be afraid of death if God has taken the sting and the victory. God has taken the power and the penalty away from our sin. It's okay to die. Because we're always going to be alive. But it's not okay to be deceived for eternity. It's not okay to reject the obedience of Christ. It's not okay to say, I'm okay, and then never obey God. Because that's disobedience. That's original sin. That's deception, which leads to eternal deception. It's not okay. To reject the word of God. That's what they did in original sin. It's not okay to say I'm a Christian. And then never follow nothing that God says. Just simply not okay. It's simply delusion. It's delusion. You know what is okay. Is to try to follow him and to mess up. And then ask him to forgive you. And wash you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because that's what he's doing. As a refiner's fire, he's burning out the dross. That's what he goes on to say. That's what trials are for. If you just listen to him and ask him for wisdom, he says, if need be, for a little while you've been grieved by manifold temptations. Why, Greg? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, though we're trusting him, we love him, though now you do not see him, yet believing, trusting, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You receive it now. You're living it now. Why? Because of the fire, if you're trusting him. Think about this. Gold perishes. You know what else gold does when you put fire on it? Anybody know this? You put it under a crucible and, and, and gold, what's it do? The, the impurities rise to the top and you skim them off, Right? Until you get pure gold, 24 karat gold, pure gold. But it's not good for much. It's going to perish. Now, it's worth a lot, but you can't make stuff out of it. That's why they leave the impurities in it. They put specific impurities in it to harden it. And most of your wedding bands are 10, 12, 18 karat. They're, they're harder. Because if you put real 24 karat gold on your finger, guess what? You might wake up and it'd be gone. It's too soft. So it's going to perish. One day, it's going to be burned up completely. It's not worth nothing. They make roads out of it in heaven. They make roads out of it in heaven. In fact, everything that you consider valuable down here is building materials in heaven. They're building materials. But you know what? When you leave, when you leave that tinsel strength in there, that's your pride. Getting in the way of the purity that God wants to bring in your life. See, because gold always represents God, godliness. Silver is redemption. Brass or bronze is judgment. 
Always in the Bible. It's a, it's a type that's always there. And God's going to allow pain and suffering and fire to be turned up. And what it's for is to purify your life. Now listen, gold gets softer when it's purified, right? Your life should become softer when you're purified. Because love looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such, there is no law. So you still stand on the word of God, but you become softer and pliable so that God can use you for his word, his will, his ways. But if you're still resisting the word of God, you're not going through anything with God's wisdom. If you're not letting him burn out the sin, burn out the desires, burn out the impurities, and you're still the same hard person you always were resisting God, you better go back to the drawing board. You better return to the cross. You better repent. And allow his fire to begin to work. Because just his word, just his light is a consuming fire. And he wants to soften you. I'm not talking about make you so open-minded and weak that you let anything happen. But soften you and make you pliable. So that even if you're innocent, you would go silently. Silently. Before your accusers and you would share the love of God to them even though you know they're going to kill you you would still share truth with them that's becoming Christ-like most Christians say I should I should I should hold that back not most Christians people in Texas say I haven't used that for a while and we'll have a little levity to this Listen, people say, well, you just got to love. See, just saying you got to love doesn't make it right. You just got to accept them. No, that's, that's, that's the devil. Love actually speaks up and tells them the truth that God's going to judge one day. Love actually speaks up and says, this is truth and this is what we stand on. Because that's all we're called to do is to stand and hand out the truth of God's word. And if that truth actually sets their life on fire, where they have to walk around every day and go, man, he said the Bible says that God made a man and woman. Man, he said the Bible said marriage is only a man and a woman. Man, that's fire in their lives. Now they have a choice to make. Am I going to listen or reject it? But if they never hear that, they just think they're okay. They just think they're okay. And we go right on headlong into sin. The world conforms to it. They tell our children, the next generation, the same thing. And everybody thinks it's normal. And that's how we ended up where we're at in church today, by the way. Instead of the Word of God, we're preaching other people's sermons. We're preaching commentaries. You know why that's a bad thing? That's what they were doing when Jesus came the first time. They were preaching somebody else's sermons, and they missed him. And now, if you're truly sanctified, he's living in your heart. If you truly know him, he's going to turn up the fire. He's going to be wanting to change you and soften you. And, but he's going to make you stand firm on the truth and soften you and make you pliable to do his will, to go where he wants you to go, to say what he wants you to say, to be led by his spirit, 
to be an ornament of gold for him in front of others. Listen to me. If that's not happening in your life, you might want to go back and say, am I practicing culturanity? Am I just living a good old-fashioned deceived sin life? Listen to me. It's serious. This is not a joke. This is getting ready to get really, really hard. And you need to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Because God's power, God's arm is not weak. And if you say you love him and you know him, then we need to allow him to change our lives, to conform us into his image. You know, this is a salvation that the prophets inquired and they searched about. Go look at the Old Testament. They didn't know. They wanted to know. They wanted to know and didn't know. They actually, look what it says. They were filled with God. They searched carefully about it. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you and me. They were searching what? What is it? What manner is it going to be? The Spirit of Christ was in them. That's, that's the God, by the way. That, that tells you that the Spirit is God. That, that confirms part of the Trinity there. The Spirit of Christ who was in them. In these prophets like Elisha and Elijah. And when somebody tells you don't talk about politics, you can go, get thee behind me, Satan. Because everything was about politics. Every one of the prophets went to the kings. That's what they were. They were prophets to the king. They were prophets to the leaders of the world. Every one of them. And they were hated and despised because they told the truth and the world wanted to follow their own government. So for people to say that Christians should not speak about politics today is another get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have to say it out loud. Just, just walk away from it. They're all involved in politics. All of the Old Testament saints were involved in politics. Didn't David have a prophet, Nathan, right there with him? Everybody that had the Spirit of God in the Old Testament was involved in politics. Because it's all about politics, whether you're going to follow the authority of the devil in his world down here or the authority of God in his kingdom up there. It's all politics. It's absolutely absurd. Some of the stuff that people are saying today. The Spirit was in them, and it's indicating, and they testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. I mean, you can find it written in the Scriptures. You can find it hidden in the Scriptures, and then the glories that would follow. See, after he suffered and was in the grave for three days, he got up, and he was glorified. Just like he prayed in John 17, glorify me now with the glory I had before the world was with you, Father. The glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. We go on through the Old Testament and everywhere you find. I mean, and I know people say this, but, but, but get in the Bible. The whole gospel is in the Old Testament. They were ministering. Notice that they were serving the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel. To you, notice it's always done by the Holy Spirit. 
that was sent from heaven. Jesus prayed the Father, John 14, I'm going away. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll send you another just like me. He sent God to him, but now in the form of a spirit that comes in, seals you for sanctification, begins to train you, teach you, lead you, and you're supposed to be following as many as follow in obedience the spirit of God. These are the children of God. Part of obedience is confessing when you're not. Things which angels, angels desire to look into. Do you see that? Prophets wanted to know it and didn't know it. They were writing it down and couldn't understand it because God didn't uncover it. Angels wanted to look into it and they didn't even know what they were doing when they announced peace on earth, joy to all, or goodwill to all men. They didn't even know what the gospel was going to be. Now it's been revealed to you and me fully. I know you're tired. And verse 13, make sure you read it. Read on ahead for next week. Therefore, all of that was said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Rest your hope fully on the grace that was brought by the uncovering of Jesus Christ. What are you resting your hope on? Is your mind sober? Are you drunk with the world? Are you drunk with delusion? Are you drunk with stuff that's going on in the world? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to leave you and keep you by His power as you go through testing and trial and He burns out the dross until He sees your face? Because that's what happens. Have you guys seen that? We'll close with this. See, I've seen on a TV. What, what is There's a show called Tested by Fire. Is that what it is? Anybody seen that where they make knives? Oh, forged by fire. I thought it was tested by fire. But what happens? They make it. They, 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 they're shaping it, but then they have to test it. God made you. And then he remade you when you believed in Jesus. And there's going to be a test. Are you going to choose his way? Or are you going to keep living your way? As you choose his ways, he softens you. He makes you pliable. And he makes you stand on his truth. Where are you standing at today, saint? Where are you standing at? Where's your feet? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your mar marvelous light. And that your light is a consuming fire. Lord, fill us with your light. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. 
If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I